Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the CapEx podcast. I'm John Ashmore, the editor of CapEx. For the last two weeks, the great and the good have descended on Glasgow to try to thrash out a climate deal at what's been billed pretty much everywhere as a make-or-break COP26. For those of you who aren't familiar, COP stands for Conference of the Parties, which since 1995 has been the UN's annual get-together to discuss all things climate change. The Kyoto Protocol and the Paris Agreement were both signed at previous COPs. This year's event is also a pretty big deal for Boris Johnson, so much so that he appointed a dedicated minister, Alok Sharma, to oversee the conference. And, of course, this being a climate change conference, the usual crusties and superglue enthusiasts wandered the streets of Glasgow, shouting about how we're all going to hell in a handcart. So, what's the result of all this summitry and politicking? To find out, me and our deputy editor, Alice Denby, decided to bring things in-house and talk to one of the stars of the market environmentalist movement, Eamon Ives. Eamon is head of energy and environment at our parent organisation, the Centre for Policy Studies. He's a regular voice on the airwaves, in the papers, and of course on CapEx, and he tweets at at Eamon Ives. Uh, he's also published some great reports on issues like green free trade, hydrogen transport, and new nuclear energy. So if you're interested in any of those things, do go and check them out on the CPS website. We started our discussion with a pretty blunt question. How much of the cop jamboree is just a glorified talking shop? Yeah, no, I think a good question and one that's probably on the minds of a lot of people right now um, who might not necessarily be too familiar with it. And I think, yeah, it's kind of on the one hand, on the other. There is, you know, the sort of the hard kind of real politic of the conference, which I guess would sort of come under the substantive bucket. But then, yeah, I suppose there are some more kind of peripheral things going on maybe more akin to kind of the party conferences that some of the listeners might have gone along to recently. But, you know, I think it's in, uh, gen- genuinely there are sort of, you know, official things going on, the negotiations. And so, so yeah, it's kind of, a, it's kind of one, of, one of the other. But, yeah, a mixed bag. Is that why it goes on for so long? Because I thought <laughs> when it was first announced, I thought it was going to be sort of three days of kind of speechifying. But we're about 10 days in already. Yeah. So, yeah, it is quite surprising. I think another thing that maybe people who are not, too au fait with the, the whole thing that, about just how long it is. And um, again, I kind of come back to the thing that, you know, there are some genuinely significant political negotiations going on here. You know, countries are, are fundamentally signing up to, or hopefully signing up to quite, um, you know, stretching targets for things that will fundamentally reshape some of their economies. 
so yeah, it, it, there is a reason I think it goes on for quite a long time. You know, there's certainly probably quite a lot of padding around the edges that you could maybe strip out if you wanted an uber efficient one. But, you know, I think, and this happened for, for other stuff, when we looked back to the Paris Agreement in 2015, that almost quite literally went down to the last minute for them to agree the exact sort of final text um, that was settled on. So, um, you know, you can't rush it, given the importance of what's at stake. But, you yeah, know, it's it quite funny just how long it goes on for. And has anything so far, you know, actually come out of the summit? I mean, talk about Paris, which we all know about, which was kind of a significant moment. Are we going to see a, a, a something like that come out of COP26? Yes, I think so. So I think kind of the main one here is countries, you know, really kind of setting out their net zero targets. So I think probably the most eye-catching one we've seen so far is India. They've agreed to get to uh, climate neutrality by 2070. We've also had Japan, lots of other countries in the run-up to COP, which is kind of another thing to say that actually, you know, it's not just these two weeks. You know, it's all the months beforehand that the UK has kind of been cajoling different countries into to come up with new targets, but lots of other stuff as well. So we've had coal phase-out agreement for the 2030s, um, which has been signed up to by some quite surprising players, so Vietnam, South Korea, Poland, Indonesia, who I think a lot of people might not have necessarily thought would be quite so up for targets like that, given how important coal is to their, to their economies. We've also seen other targets for methane emissions and targets around deforestation. So actually, I think that there's quite a lot of good that has come out already, over the sort of 10 days that we've had so far as we're recording this. And fundamentally, we've we've basically brought down the amount of warming that we can expect the world to experience relative to pre-industrial levels by uh, 2100. So I think before it, we were on track for 2.7 degrees of warming. That's now down to maybe about 1.8, according to the IEA, or 1.9 to some research that's come out from Australia. And I think that's kind of the most significant thing we need to look at here. It's the kind of the, the effective emissions cuts and what that will mean to temperature rise. How much does any of this mean without Russia and China especially even being there? And why, mm. why didn't they turn up? Why did they cop out? Exactly. Why did they cop out? <laughs> there we go. There's the first, the first pun that we've had. So I think, I, I still think it's absolutely um, important and, and we've had some really good progress so far. And, you know, a lot's been made about China not being there, Russia not being there. I, I, I think it's a little bit overstated. Um, and let's not forget, China are there. It's just not President Xi's there. And they, they have made some, you know, stretching targets. And ideally, they might be a little bit more stretching because of the role they play in the global economy and the missions is always going to be uh, critically dependent on how much they can decarbonize. But, but you know, we, we still had some good pronouncements made from them in the run-up to COP and, and certainly during COP as well. So, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like they're not here, therefore it's a failure. I think we've still um, made some good progress and, and, you know, hopefully we'll have further engagement from those nations going forwards. One of the things that we're very uh, keen on here at CapEx is the idea of kind of introducing market principles into the to the climate change debate. So have we seen any progress on that? Anything on carbon pricing, for example? Mm-hmm. So this, from my perspective, at least, I'm sure you know that I'm a big fan of carbon pricing. Um, big, big fan, yeah. And I've certainly written for CapEx a lot of times about carbon pricing and indeed sort of reports that we've published with the CPS. And, and sadly, I don't think actually we've heard that much about carbon pricing, which is depressing but more to the point i actually think it's quite confusing because one of the big things that boris johnson has been keen to stress um throughout cop and in the run-up to it is is the the importance of getting rid of coal from power generation principally 
And that's kind of one of those areas where the UK has genuinely been, you know, it's had staggering progress on getting rid of coal from its electricity mix down to, you know, fractions of what it once was. And, you know, if it went tomorrow, I'm sure there wouldn't be that much of a upset in the sort of the UK energy market. And the way that it's basically done that has been based upon introducing a carbon price in 2013, which just made it economically nonsensical to burn it most of the time. And it would have been great, I think, if Boris and indeed Alok Sharma had been sort of trumpeting this instrument, this carbon price that they attached to it in 2013, and, you know, encouraging other uh, other countries to do the same. Because without sort of having those firm economic signals behind it, you kind of have to rely on other, perhaps less palatable policy interventions to, to really shift coal off the grid. So it's kind of been strange that they've, they've not done that. I'd say kind of related to carbon pricing, we have heard a little bit more about carbon border adjustment mechanisms, which are sort of maybe uh, also known as carbon border taxes or carbon border tariffs, which I think if applied properly um, are kind of a market-based way of ensuring that emissions reductions are being made right across the board and we're not necessarily sort of just offshoring our emissions. We've heard a little bit more about them from, I think George Eustace was talking to Andrew Marr, didn't necessarily go down too well in the press from what I've seen, but hopefully we can um, get a bit more further progress on those as well. Mm. I just wonder as well, in a more general sense, we've, we've spoken about Paris a bit already, how binding are the commitments that they're going to make at the end of this? I mean, what mechanisms are there to actually hold countries to the promises they make. I mean, you talked about, for example, China making good pronouncements. Well, literally no one can go in and tell the Chinese mm. they're not doing it mm. the right way if they don't want to five years down the line. No, I think that is a completely valid point. And I guess kind of it comes back to a, almost like an international relations perspective of, you know, what can countries do to, you know, encourage or, you know, ensure that other countries are sticking to their pledges. Fundamentally, I think it just has to be you know, it's almost like a name and shame sort of thing. So the kind of the way the Paris Agreement was framed was that countries would sort of present their emissions reduction targets and then they'd hopefully, as sort of technology progresses, you know, gradually make those a bit more um, ambitious and, and towards net zero based on the, the climate science which we've had out in the last few years. But yeah, you're right. Like there's no, you know, one country can't necessarily just say to another, you're not doing this, so we're going to, you know, invade or whatever, something bizarre like that. Not least when we look at, actors like China and India and, and, and rising powers in sort of Africa. So yeah, I think, and that's why I think actually summits like this are, you know, pretty good. And, you know, having these summits and, and sort of getting together and having these conversations and collaborations and, and getting together, I think is, is kind of a good way of doing this. You know, one thing we often hear from people who are, you know, on the more sort of sceptical side of the debate to say, to say the least, are, you know, they, they, and I'd say they rightly point out that the UK only contributes about 1% of the world emissions. So, so if the UK hit net zero by, by itself and nobody else did, then that's basically making no difference at all. But what the UK is doing is putting on this conference, it's using its soft power to elicit stronger action from other countries. So I think in that way, the UK can play an outsized role in the whole climate change question. Mm-hmm. And obviously another way that we sort of hold governments to account on their promises about climate change is through the press. But so much of the press around COP26 has just been so trivial. It's all sort of focusing on people using private jets, some councillor flying to Glasgow instead of Mm. taking the train, or even, you know, the number of times people wear their clothes. I mean, do you think that's helpful or do you think that's a massive The motorcade as well. Don't forget the motorcade. The President of the United Um, States has a motorcade, everyone. Yeah, Um, I think... think, (laughs) 
Um, present company excluded, I think the media coverage of COP has been pretty atrocious and genuinely actually quite depressing. And I think climate awareness is obviously rising rapidly in the UK, but I think it still points like even people who you kind of expect to have a, you know, at least a basic knowledge of what climate policy looks like, it's really lacking. And yeah, you kind of get people focusing on the trivial flashy stuff that's right in front of them. You know, the protests or, or yes, the motorcade, like, yeah, shock horror. The president of the USA wants a little bit of protection. Yeah, let's um, be clear, private jets contribute basically nothing to emissions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it has been you know, a little dispiriting. There are certainly some great journalists out there who really know their stuff on this, who have been able to sort of provide a corrective to sort of the prevailing narrative by, I think, sort of journalists who feel obligated to cover it. And, and it's good that they are, but I think sort of that, that knowledge is, is a little bit lacking. So hopefully, you know, this can be a bit of a learning experience for all of us in terms of how we sort of understand what these summits actually are and, and sort of more about just climate change in general. So I have two related questions to that, and they're both... We can't really mention COP without mentioning Greta Thunberg, who's always in the media coverage of anything to do with climate. Um, We ran a piece this week slightly provocatively asking whether Greta was a secret climate change denier, because her narrative is so negative and hopeless that it's almost designed to just inspire, you know, inertia and inaction. And as someone who's into, you know, trying to work out effective policies and solutions, what do you think the best way of dealing with with her is I it seems to me that a lot of politicians seem to try and want to almost curry favor with her which I find bizarre and you know what what do what do you think are the most effective messages for the public not you're all gonna die Mm. if you don't do whatever it is she wants Mm. I still don't even know what she actually wants um (laughs) no I I agree um I do think the way that yeah we sort of treat her as this you know font of knowledge and I'm sure she's incredibly knowledgeable probably more than me but it is a little bit weird um people sort of falling over Every last thing she says, just sort of to give a bit of balance, I think the way that she has been attacked um, by some other actors is, you know, frankly embarrassing and, and totally unnecessary. But yeah, to, to, to come back to the point about sort of the climate miserabilism, um, I don't think that's helpful. There was a really good piece by Hannah Ritchie of Our World and Data, which kind of yeah, painted... It's on, on Wired, if you're looking for it. Mm, so Wired.com, um, I think. Painted a yeah. much better message I think and one that certainly I think politicians would be mindful to to look at and and um and kind of regurgitate themselves I think just saying that it's all doom and gloom and we're necessarily you know going down this pathway and it's all going to be horrible yeah like I think the the point that Hannah was making was that that's basically akin to climate denialism maybe not quite as bad but certainly in the same sort of ballpark and so yeah I think kind of a more positive more practical message um, that sort of puts forward mechanisms, policies, whatever, to actually deal with climate change. You know, that's the sort of stuff that I'm more interested in hearing about. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, my question, having just talked about how trivial uh, and pointless all the media coverage was, but I thought we might sort of round up by saying, do we, do we each have a favourite anecdote from the conference? Oh, uh, can I, I'll kick off. I saw one. I don't know if it was from inside the conference or outside, and it was, it, it kind of, again, touching on the kind of doomsday cult aspect of a lot of the contemporary green movement. It was like a climate confession booth. So you go into the booth to confess your climate sins. I, I used thought, a plastic wow. straw. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Um, so it's not exactly an anecdote, but I thought it was just a nice image um, of if you could sum up the religiosity of... <laughs> The current climate movement. Yeah. In that. I wonder if they had like a mic recording them all. <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. You're going to get cancelled in like 2080 because yeah. you are. <laughs> I feel all right, actually. I've never even owned a car, so I'm, I'm golden. I've know. never been in a private jet. Yeah. <laughs> None of us, none of us on this podcast has ever been in a private jet, so we're, we're clean. Um, uh, as for me, I don't know. I've, I've maybe got two. So I think one, um, which I, I wasn't aware of myself, actually, a little bit ignorant, but... So I found out that actually when the, the conference itself is taking place, um, sort of the zone, you know, out of a few square miles of um, Glasgow is, um, it actually becomes UN territory um, and it's subject to international law instead of British law. Um, UN officials have diplomatic immunity while they're there. Um, so it kind of made me think it could be a good plot basis for like a thriller or something. Mm. Not, yeah, that, I, not like that I'd that. encourage any... Illegal... Like a lethal weapon yeah. style... Uh... Yeah, not that I didn't encourage any untoward activity, but um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I saw another one actually from um, Tom Harwood, who you mentioned, written a great piece for CapEx um, this week. I think he was saying that he wanted to buy some chips and he could only buy them whilst also buying a burger. So he <laughs> right. had to buy a burger to get the chips. He couldn't just buy the chips, which right. sort of seems a bit counterproductive from a climate perspective, given what we know about beef and emissions from yeah. animal agriculture. <laughs> I'd assume um, that was a veggie burger. So. Quite possibly, actually. I didn't check that, and I'll have to uh, right. verify we'll have to investigate. I'll have, I'll, I'll have to ask Tom about that. Um, Alice, I think you had one I well. do, but I'm sorry. I'm going to take a stand into the gutter, but this is an anecdote from the Duchess of Cornwall, who uh, apparently overheard Joe Biden making an emission of his own... Uh, passing wind, I apologise, and uh, apparently palace sources say she has not stopped talking about this. Um, so she just sounds like a great chat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, best thing he's done all week. <laughs> uh, I think um, I did have actually another question. I probably should have asked this earlier on, I mean, which is that 
why are we, has this been such a focus because of the fact that it's in the UK? Are we kind of obsessing about it more? I think a lot of people have been asking, like, why why is number twenty six so much more important <laughs> than the the twenty five cops that preceded it? Yeah, no, I've had a lot of people ask me this, um, and I think. You know, I think some of the focus is genuinely warranted. Um, some of it's a bit more confected. And on that sort of confected side of the ledger, I think the government has obviously been at pains to raise the profile of this. Um, I think for political yeah. reasons, you know, Johnson sees climate change as something that is critically important when you look at the concern among the electorate. And that's all across the electorate, whether it's Red Wall, Young, Old, Leave, Remain. Um, you know, however, however you want to cut that cake. And I think it's also important for him with regards to how the Conservative Party is viewed. So I imagine quite a few, possibly like until very recently, Conservative voters are, have been worried it's kind of going down this retrograde path of sort of nationalistic authoritarianism, whatever. Um, and I think he's kind of keen to, you know, put climate change as a bit of a corrective to that. But yeah, I do think there is a genuine reason why COP26 has obviously had this focus on it. And, and the, the biggest one among those is that so... Not to get too technical, when the Paris Agreement was signed, there was kind of this mechanism that every five years countries would increase what are called their nationally determined contributions, which are the pledges they're putting forward for future emissions cuts, and to see if they can increase the ambition with regards to those. And COP26 is the first of these reviews, um, if you want to sort of think about it like that. It's also the first COP that we've kind of had in what I'm calling the net zero era. So it's the first one that we've had since the UK signed its net zero target and indeed much of the global economy, I think 78% of the economy is now covered by net zero targets. And yeah, so this is kind of the first one we've had since then. It's also the first one we've had post-pandemic, if we are post-pandemic. Um, and obviously, you know, we've been hearing ad nauseum build back better and things like that. So I think there is this genuine sort of like reset moment for much of the global economy and COP and the pledges that can be made there will necessarily kind of shape what that economy looks like. You know, we could also look at having Biden as US president rather than Trump. Although I think Biden's actually cut quite a forlorn figure. Like, mm. I don't think we've heard quite as much as we might have expected from him. So yeah, I think that's kind of, there are a lot of reasons why it has had such important, uh, or had such an important focus put on it. But then, yes, I think there is a little bit of games playing being done by the government and fair enough to them for doing it. I think there's, there's far worse things to kind of, artificially inflate um, the importance of than a global climate conference. <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my final question, um, just to round off, is obviously we, this podcast has been largely about a political summit um, and perhaps it's my own outlook or whatever, but I, it has always struck me that if, if the world is going to change, it will probably be because of some kind of technical innovations rather than a political agreement. I wonder what you think, having sort of surveyed what's around at the moment, what's going on, what you think the most exciting kind of game-changing environmental technology is that will either cut carbon or capture carbon or, you know, provide transport the fossil without fossil fuels, mm-hmm. that, any, anything like that. A Robocop, if you will. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow. We didn't even prepare that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sort of zooming out, I think absolutely echo what you're saying. Like, you know, pledges don't cut emissions. Technologies do. And these people who say that we can do it without developing new technologies are, yeah, dreadfully misguided. And they'll also support things like wind turbines, which are obviously a technology. Um, So I think, yes, we need some um, 
we definitely need uh, innovation in, well, across the economy, but I think in a few select sectors in particular. So I think things like cultured meat, lab-grown meat, um, will be critically important to decarbonise our diets in a way that people are happy to do so, um, hopefully happy to do so. Things like breakthrough, breakthroughs in nuclear power and whether we're going to get nuclear fusion, small modular reactors, things like that, um, will be critically important. Electric vehicles, obviously. Um, a lot of it's kind of the technologies we kind of have at the moment, but I just think they need to get better. I mean, I think they're pretty great at the moment, but they can certainly be cheaper. They can it's not about be... like a eureka moment. With Definitely, the great yeah. myth of innovation is that it's just boom, mm. like the light bulb had 100 inventors or something before sure. Edison yeah. managed to get his name. Definitely, yeah. So I think, yeah, so a lot of it, you know, th- there are some areas where we genuinely need to kind of think hard and, and come up with new solutions. But I think, yeah, a lot of it is kind of seeing what we've got at the moment and just kind of making it incrementally better over the coming decades. So, yeah, it's about making sure that electric vehicles really are like the, the first choice option that people just do anyway or, yeah. I don't know. I think you might struggle to rival Greta with uh, what do we want? incremental improvements <laughs> not quite when we won them over a series of decades um Eamon, thank you so much for joining us it's been very enlightening i feel like i've learned a lot more about cop and why it is so important and i will refrain from any more cop puns um but thanks I can't very much um, yes, and please do, uh, as Alice says, subscribe to CapEx uh, at www.capex.co forward slash subscribe if you don't already. Um, and join us for the next podcast, which will be with the uh, writer Martin van der Weyer. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.